0: Hey everybody, this is Max. Just wanted to give you a heads up that if you are here for the D'Anthony Melton interview, that is at the end of this podcast. It starts at about one hour, four minutes, and 30 seconds in. Yes, David and I, as we do, went long. So if you want to skip to D'Anthony, we understand. Again, that is at the one hour, four minute, and 30 second mark. Thanks, and enjoy the podcast.
1: Whatever you are, whatever you're doing, Stay with us as the suns gets set to shine. Perry, Mary. Cigar heard. Here's the jump shot. Jump to Marley. A long three. He got him! He got him! Into Booker. Here's the three. Suzanne! <laughs> Oliver! Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam.
0: Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the NBA and the Phoenix Suns. My name is Max McCulley and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, how you doing, man?
2: I'm good, Max. We uh, weren't sure if we were going to jump on a pod this week, but the Suns just keep on making moves and giving us something to talk about. And of course, you also had an opportunity come up that was too good to ignore.
0: Yeah, it's hard to ignore the opportunity to interview an actual NBA player, David. We all just want to be NBA players. We actually talked, to, I talked to one. It was
2: cool. <laughs> you did. And he was did. awesome.
0: The Anthony was great. I had recommend like, I giving it a listen. But David, you had a chance to, to listen to a draft of it. What did you think?
2: I did. It was a great little pod for my commute home, uh, unedited version I got. So uh, I'm looking forward to everyone having a chance to to listen to it a little bit later in this show as well and let us know their thoughts. But I really enjoyed it. Uh, I could tell you were very excited to do the interview, which I'm sure the listeners will hear as well. And I, I remember chuckling a few times on my train ride home. So I think the, the people are really going to enjoy this one, Max.
0: Yeah, everyone knows that I love Anthony Melton, and I think that probably did come through. <laughs> uh, but before we get to that, we're going to talk about uh, kind of our off-season thoughts, sort of wrap up the off-season mm-hmm. by going through each of the deals the Suns made. Uh, some of the more recent ones we haven't discussed at all, so we'll you know kind of go into depth on those. Yep. Uh, for the deals we've already done to death, we've come up with some other fun things to talk about because no one wants to hear us. Evaluate the things we've talked about a hundred times. And right. we
2: don't we don't want to talk about them again either. No,
0: we really don't. We're gonna rate them, I guess, David, you've warned me about. We're gonna rate everything, but we're not gonna we're not gonna reassess every single thing. So uh before we get to that, David, how about a recap of what's happened recently? Yeah, as
2: you said, we're gonna cover off the whole offseason because it feels like everything is close to done, at least with this sun's roster. But starting in reverse this time, because there was technically five official deals this week since the last time we did a podcast, Max, but we're going to push Kelly to the next section here. So we'll start first with our little recap here and go a little bit in depth as we go through. So the first one, Max, was Tariq Owens signed a one-year vet minimum deal and what they call an Exhibit 10 with the Phoenix Suns, which for anyone listening, uh, the Exhibit 10 essentially is a summer contract. Uh, gives the Suns an option to make it a two-way deal. It also gives them a chance to have his rights for the Naz Suns as well, Max. And if he plays really well in training camp and something opens up, he could still be uh, on the main roster at that vet minimum deal, Max?
0: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So we were, I mean, it's sort of an inside joke between me and you. I don't think anybody else in the world cared was like, what was this Owens deal that was reported? <laughs> yes. And I thought maybe it'd be a two-way. It, it turns out it may be a little uh, less than that. The really random CBA deal that you were referring to that 1.0001% like, of the population knows about. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. I, I think it's a, the right kind of guy you want. You want athletic power forward. Yep. The issue being they also signed somebody we're about to get to uh on that who does the same kind of thing so yep a bit redundant but hey it's the thing they really need take as many shots as you can to find it i I understand it It's, it's a it's a fine deal i think right
2: yeah, probably the only other issue is he's 24 years old. He's another one of those five-year college players. So, you know, when you're taking a flyer on a guy like this and if he is going to eventually be the next two-way option, you know, there's always that argument, which there's been around pretty much all the Suns rookies this mm-hmm. summer, is like how much improvement do they actually have in them? We've talked a little bit about Owens before, but he's a, you know, shot-blocking, um, maybe be able to become an eventual stretch big in the NBA. That's what he's probably going to be spending to time uh, this summer trying to prove and then probably in the G League whether it's for the Suns or other teams he'll be trying to prove that he can be a bit more of a stretch option in the NBA but a a little nerd cast uh, encore here get with this (laughs) Exhibit 10 deal Max they can give him up to a $50,000 bonus with this Exhibit 10 that doesn't count against the cap and of course two way deals don't count against the cap as well so anyone who's been listening to us on this pod Uh, or on Twitter knows that we're very much over the cap now and only using exceptions. But this deal for Owens doesn't count against the salary cap and and can go a few different ways, as I mentioned before. But probably the only other thing to mention there is that the Suns have 16 guys plus Harper who we'll get to in a minute on a two-way deal. Um, So that's two more bodies, I think, plus one two-way that they can eventually have because you can hold up to 20 roster spots in the summer before having to cull that before the start of the season, Max.
0: Yeah, we'll see how that goes. I think you're probably the only person in uh, the world who cares about how they pull that <laughs> up, but uh, I'm excited to hear you talk about it because, David, nothing makes me happier than your enthusiasm over fringe basketball players.
2: <laughs> well, let's jump to the ratings, as you mentioned at the top here. This is a tricky one to start off with, but probably gives me a little bit more breathing room to give you Uh, where I'm coming from with this. So there's been a lot of comments this week and last week about you know how national media is rating the Suns at the moment, off-season grades and things like that. So I thought we'd kind of take a bird's eye view of all these deals in isolation and, and kind of rate them one by one out of 10, which will eventually give us both a score out of 100 at the end of the podcast here, Max. So I want you to rate each one in the context of the move itself, because I think what the national media are doing, other than just being lazy, mm-hmm. is there. You know, my problem with grades, which I think I mentioned on our crossover pod last week, is that you know people try and grade say the Suns versus the Golden State Warriors, and you're just not playing in the same field. So, more in the context of this move and what other options they had with this move. Uh, entirely. So Owens is a pretty tricky one to start with, but what would you give the Owens rating out of 10? I mean, units? it's
0: the kind of guy they needed to sign, I think. Um, mm-hmm. it, it really fits the MO of James Jones bringing in guys who are older, more established, ready to play, even though it's a 1% chance he becomes something as most of these deals are is it at least the right, you know, category of player, so I guess I'm going to give it an 8.
2: Yep, all right. I went with a 7 for pretty much the similar reason, so we'll see how we differ in in grading these ones as we go cuz we're pretty much on the same page here. I think just the age factor Um, counts against him for me and we should probably say he was on the summer league roster but he was injured which was kind of disappointing or else we might be a little bit more excited about this one I watched him a little bit in college because he played on Jarrett Culver's team obviously with Texas Tech but yeah a bit of a flyer there but we can probably move on to the other guy that you alluded to before which was probably the most surprising one that we didn't know was coming when it was announced and that was Czech Diallo Max.
0: Yeah, and Chuck Diallo, I think, it, here's why I like that signing a lot for the Suns. The Suns have relied a lot over the past you know, half decade on totally unproven guys in the draft they've gotten mm-hmm. uh, at, at these sort of backup spots, and the problem when you do that is, you know, there's the the argument that you have the upside with them, but at the same time, the upside doesn't help you. Now, at all. Yep. You bring in a guy with upside, and he just sucks entirely and can lose you a game or a quarter or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Chuck Diallo's played in the league a, a few years now. We know he's not like a complete and total disaster when he's on the court. He has some upside. He's an athletic player. Uh, he, he actually had uh, sort of rosier prospects coming out of college, and he's kind of shown the NBA. So there's still a little more upside there with him, I think. Yep. And he also, even though he's been a pretty bad offensive player so far, I think he like barely passes. I think he's passed like three or four times in his entire career. <laughs> uh, and he, still, he somehow still turns the ball over at a, at a pretty bad rate. So that's not great. But defensively and athletically, he's good. And that's really what the Suns needed, especially in the second unit. So it makes a lot of sense. Although, you know, Ali, uh, who's been on this podcast before, Alessandro Cousy has said that he thinks Diallo will start. Wow. Um, well, I don't know if that's true, but uh, we'll see. Uh, that's it's an interesting prediction. I it wouldn't totally shock me if you know they decided they needed that next to Aiton eventually, which is probably where Allie's coming from. But uh, I think it's good. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, it's not the you know it's uh, it's not a get you to the playoffs kind of move. Yeah. But it is like a stabilization on the back end of the rotation kind of
2: move. Yeah, I love the move because, you know, we were harping on about the athleticism kind of point with uh, some of these bigs in Saric and, and Frank, who we'll get to in a minute as well. So it definitely fills that hole. He's six foot nine with a seven foot four wingspan, two year deal with that team option, which I love the flexibility of and why I uh, rated this one quite highly, which we'll get to in a minute. But, you know, I just think that it's an interesting one with he and Frank, who I said, you know, we'll talk about in a minute, because they you probably slot them both in at power forward, as you mentioned there with Ali, uh, you know, would I guess slot him in at power forward starting next to eight and freeze rim protection. But, you know, I actually think that him and Frank might both be best suited as fives in the NBA. And that's kind of where they play their best Mm. basketball. Mm. So I'll be really interested to watch that from both Kaminsky and Diallo's point of view. If you watch Diallo uh, at the Pelicans, you know, he played some with Anthony Davis who, you know, this week said he loves to be a four and, you know he out of the dunker spot or you know rolling to the basket in pick and roll is kind of where he's the most effective on offense so that's going to be interesting for me from a fit standpoint hard to see him getting many minutes at the five exclusively so not entirely sure what the Suns are thinking there with with this move if they are thinking he's a power forward as well as frank when you know i think they might both actually be centers in the nba but another interesting kind of did you know fact for you here max you can look up this one later or the listeners might want to look it up uh, as they're listening, but go to check uh basketball reference page and go to his per 36 numbers. A, he is a per 36 machine. Hmm. I think kind of 15 and a half points per game, 13.2 rebounds, 1.3 blocks. Hmm. But A huge growth in field goal percentage over the three years. But other than that, look at the three years he's been in the NBA and his per 36 numbers and how identical they are on all three years depending on what varying minutes he played in each of those seasons. It's pretty uh, ridiculous how close all the stats are.
0: James Jones really wants consistency, David. (laughs) That's what he wants. He wants people to bring it. The same exact thing every single night, even if it's mediocre. But I'll, I'll point out though, not not only the field goal percentage, which I think is an outdated stat for mm-hmm. a lot of people, although less for Bigs. Uh, true shooting too. I mean, rookie year, uh, .51, went up to point six two. He had a point six four four true shooting last year. Which although his offensive like advanced metrics are still terrible because of how you know much he turns the ball over and does not pass. Yeah, uh, it's still nice to see uh, he's efficient around the rim. I think that's. Uh, kind of what the Suns need, that athletic finisher guy, so overall, I think it makes a lot of sense and I'm ready for uh, my rating of the move if you're ready for me to give it.
2: <laughs> I'll throw a question at you first and then you can go straight into All your right. rating after that to justify, I guess, your rating here. Uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson or Czech Diallo on the same deal? Chek Diallo.
0: I, I know people love Rondé Hollis Jefferson, I think in large part because a lot of you are U of A fans, <laughs> but uh, that dude is really, 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 really bad at offense, man. Really bad. Yeah.
2: Alright, your rating then?
0: Uh, I mean, if we're, if we're really just looking at this in terms of like what their options were and and, you know what the realistic possible plan could have been yeah i'm giving it like a 10 i think like i I think it makes a lot of sense for them david
2: all righty i've got it at a nine because i love that team option and as you pointed out it's pretty much the best option here at you know july 20 20 days into free agency there's not a lot left if you look at the current free agents out there so they filled a real need um, and it's a kind of upside play here, having that team option in the second year. So I went with a 9. I do have a 10 a little later, my only 10. But you've gone early with a 10 out of 10, Max.
0: I'm an easy grader, I guess. I like, guess it's just easy to get A's out of me.
2: All right, before we go to Frank, there was one other one in the middle there. Jared Harper, two-way deal, as we mentioned before. What are your first thoughts on that one, Max?
0: I think James Jones loves his competitiveness. Yep. probably fell in love with him during the tournament, I would guess. And I, I get it. I watched him with that the upset to get to the Final Four, and I loved it too. Mm-hmm. So James and I probably watched the same thing. Uh, I think there's now a glut of guards in this roster, which we'll probably get to. Yes. Uh, which this is this cause. So I, I don't think it makes a ton of sense for the roster. Um, and I, I wouldn't have done this. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. But, you know. James James loves his competitiveness.
2: Yeah, and James even said that, I think, in one of the, the courtside uh, games at Summer League. They asked him about Harper, and that was pretty much what he said, Max, is he loves his competitiveness and um, you know the fact that he's won at every level or been good at every mm-hmm. level that he's played despite his 5'11 stature. So I went back and looked at his Summer League stats. So I think maybe I thought he was a little bit better than he ended up Max, I think you know, 10.5 points per game. Only shot 37.5% from the field, 31% from three, uh, and had two and a half assists to one turnover per game as well. So I don't know what it was. You know, he didn't play a little bit. Um, towards the end there. It was really those first couple of games where he popped, but his stats kind of weren't as good as I remembered him being at summer league. Uh, And, you know, he had pretty poor field goal percentage in college as well. So just not sure he's ever going to overcome that because it's not like he's super efficient as a, a small guy in college, and then the question mark is can he continue it in the NBA? He's kind of just never been efficient at the rim or you know in the paint as a small guy, and so therefore that's going to be the biggest challenge for him. But you mentioned the the glut of point guards there. I think this deal in particular. Uh, we can talk about the glut of point guards a bit later for the roster, but I think the criticism around the Harper two-way has been a little over the top because, you know, it is just a two-way at the end of the day, and I don't think we have to go too over the top in adding him to the uh, list of point guards on the current roster, Max.
0: No, I totally agree, but here's the thing. I just gave Check the Yellow at 10, and three Owens, I think, what, like an 8? <laughs> yep. So in, in this context of this, like, interesting ranking system we've decided to, to come up with, <laughs> I'm going to give this like a two, I think. Whoa. She said, I don't think it makes any sense, really. Cause I, here's the thing. I think it would be kind of dumb of the Suns to keep uh, Harper on the team and get rid of Okobo. Yeah. I, I think they're kind of similar, except for Okobo just has a lot more upside to be a lot better than him in a lot of different ways. Yep. Um, so I, I think if, if that's sort of what might happen out of this, and by the way, I think that might be what happens here. I think Okobo might be... Might be on the way out. I think you might be right. If we're in this grading system where I'm only in this in this world where I'm not comparing to the rest of the NBA, I'm only comparing every transaction compared to what they could have done, mm-hmm. I don't think this makes any sense. Uh, I'm giving it a 2 instead of a 1. Just because I agree with James Jones, I liked how he played in that one game.
2: <laughs> well, I've given it a seven. I've been a little bit more uh, willing to give them credit for this one. I think it's a... It's a work- wait, 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 David.
0: Wait, wait. Before you go on, can I say, everyone uh, listening, can you not go on Twitter and like cite our ratings on this? Because obviously we're in a weird zone here, and the context will be lost on Twitter. Yes,
2: this is really uh, an exercise, but hopefully we get to the end with a... Um, unbiased uh, grey overall grade yeah. for the Suns offseason. That's all we're really trying to do here, guys. So don't pick apart it too much. And I had the advantage of thinking about this uh, a little more. We're not doing a Did You Know segment this week, so I'm putting Max on the spot throughout the whole podcast. You always this, have but... to, David. You can't
0: get through a podcast without doing
2: that. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's a worthwhile gamble. I think it's probably the only other traditional initiator on the roster now other than Ricky Rubio you know a lot of people talk about all the point guards on the roster but you know there's actually not that many traditional point guards there's a lot of combo guards uh, on Mm -hmm. this roster so you know the league's still trying to work out what to do with these two ways as well because they're quite new so every team's attacking them a little bit differently based on where they are in the league as well so you know thinking ahead if things got you know, went bad and you needed one of your two way guys to come in and be able to run the second unit or something. I think Harper would be, you know, capable of doing that. And therefore I'm willing to give him a little bit of a chop out on my rating. And the only other thing I would say is that he looked really good with Lequeux. And if this move is made uh, for Lequeux's development um, somewhat and not putting him out as the sole initiator with the NAS sons, then I kind of like it from that standpoint too.
0: That's a great point. I hadn't thought about that. Um, Kobo upside wise makes more sense yep. than Jared Harper, but if the plan is to have Jared Harper play with Jalen the Q in Northern Arizona Suns, like you said, that makes a lot of sense to me. That that that, and also that would you might have actually landed exactly where James Jones is thinking. Like maybe the Jared Harper siding is much less about Jared Harper and much more about Jalen the Q. That's obviously taking like the most silver lining approach of all time <laughs> on this. Yes, but hey, I like doing that, David. That's awesome. That's a good. That's a good shout.
2: All right. Speaking of taking silver lining, should we go to Frank Kaminsky, Max?
0: Yes, let's get into silver lining theater. <laughs> oh, also, uh, before we start, this is a trigger warning for U of A fans. Uh, if you, you go and skip like five minutes ahead in the podcast, we won't blame you. But go
2: ahead, there <laughs> Go ahead, go ahead. But yeah, two year with the room exception, 4.7 first year, 5 million almost flat for the second year. And the team option, we knew about this deal for quite a while I think even July 1 maybe it got announced by Wodge or someone, but official and the team option official this week, which is why we're talking about it now, Max.
0: Yeah, I don't think it was July 1, but it was soon after. It was like July 3 or something like that. Okay, yeah. But uh, you, first of all, I'll give you credit. You you had a uh, prediction on this being a team option ahead of everybody else. Um, and, I, and I I think that's it really helped the deal a lot. I think Cominci was not a two years, $10 million guaranteed player. He just wasn't. Yep. Uh, and yep. I think everyone rightly criticized the deal with that in mind. I think that everyone maybe jumped the gun because you know, we don't know what these contracts are when they're first reported a lot of times. Because a mm-hmm. lot of times it's the agent who gets to uh, decide what the deal is reported as. And the agent is uh, incentivized to help his client seem better, which a hey, more power to you. That's what agents should be doing. I'm a lawyer. I understand how that works. Um, but this really does make the deal a lot better because we can escape it if he's awful. If this is a total disaster, the lack of athleticism uh, is a real killer. The shooting doesn't keep up from the end of last year. Yeah, Fine. No problem. We say goodbye. Uh, but if he does ex- uh, either meet the deal or exceed it, like say he's just awesome. He shoots 40 plus percent from three. Uh, he, he just makes a lot of sense. Maybe he's a backup five even. Mm-hmm. Hey, guess what? We have him on a, on a value deal next season. So I, I think it helps a lot. I mean, still, I, I think it was not the right guy to go after with the room exception. There were other guys I would have preferred to get even knowing that we have a team option on this. So I'm not going to give it a great grade. I'll let you go first, David, uh, on the grading. But uh, the team option has definitely uh, improved my grade. I'll put it that way.
2: Yeah, I'd probably double down on my Diallo point, and you kind of touched on it there. He may end up being a backup five on this team and Mm -hmm. I guess having the option to find out, um, and then if you can't afford Baines next year and Kaminsky works out more as a backup five, then you've got the option to bring him back on a similar deal to what Baines is on right now this year as the backup five. But that's going to be interesting to watch is where he does slot in. We'll get to some rotation stuff later. I think there are definitely some question marks about where he and some others can get playing time uh son's twitter loves a nickname and obsessed with him. i'm obsessed with him, as you know max so i'm gonna start calling <laughs> kaminsky team option from now on as, <laughs> as my nickname for him uh hopefully wow. you know people will get the humor in that but uh i think your other point before i get to my rating on what else they could have done is why my rating's a little bit lower for someone like Frank versus the other three that we've rated so far. I've got some names here for guys that went for less than room level money. Uh, Cornet, two years to the Bulls. I would have, I wouldn't have minded. You can break the room exception up as well. You don't have to give it to it to everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vonley, I know for one year is one that you would have liked. Yep. David Nwaba went two years on the veteran minimum to Brooklyn. Uh, Jake Layman went three years to in a sign and trade to the Wolves, but that three-year figure that he got uh, was, you know, pretty close to what we're paying Kaminsky over two years. So that was one that they could have got in on. Uh, Ed Davis got two years, and Jermichael Green uh, may have wanted to go back to the Clippers on a contender, but he got the full room mid-level at two years as well, Max. So that's why I have Kaminsky rated as a six here. The team option helped the rating out a little bit, as you mentioned.
0: You're so much nicer than I am, David. Uh, first, I'm going to point out, I agree with you on a lot of those, especially Vonley, which I voiced. Yep. I have a hard time penalizing the Suns for Jamichael Green and Ed Davis because it's the same amount of money. I think maybe even totally guaranteed mm-hmm. for teams that are just better and better situations than the Suns, probably. So I don't think the Suns probably had an option there. But for Noah Vonley, it's hard for me to imagine Noah Vonley wouldn't have passed uh, or wouldn't have taken what the Suns offered Frank Kaminsky. Yeah, I, I think that probably has more to do with James Jones's whole. Uh, I really, really, really obs- are, am obsessed with the character side of things
2: and shooting. Um, Find and the I, shooting I that he
0: really thought and shooting and shooting. Yes, I think I think Kaminsky really fits exactly what uh, James Jones is looking for with this team. Which you know, fine. Uh, I, I I think I would have had this deal around like a two or a one before the team option came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that coming out, it makes it much less painful. I still don't think they, that he really fits what the Suns needed. I mean, they have Aaron Baines already to play the backup five, which I think is Kaminsky's better role. great. And then they have Cam Johnson uh, still to play, who's kind of similar in some ways to Kaminsky. I think he's better, mm-hmm. but similar. So it doesn't make a ton of sense to me from that perspective. So I think I'm going to give it like a, I'll
2: go for a four. How about that? All right. All right. We've got you down as a four. And probably before we move on, I I think I touched on expiring money. Now that this is a team option, and you mentioned that before, we can get off it next year, which essentially makes it an expiring max. So Tyler at 19, Baines at five, Frank at almost five, Saric at three and a half, and Czech Diallo with that team option almost being expiring is one point six as well. So that's thirty-four point three million dollars in expirings the team is going into this season with Max.
0: That's not a bad situation to be in. So they are they are over the cap because of Ubre though. So do you have it in front of you how much cap space they could reasonably be expected to have if they decline all uh free agent cap holds next season
2: i don't have it on me but i have looked at it a fair bit so i should hopefully be able to go off the top of my head here so i would say that they can still get to around 30 million dollars in max cap space if they wanted to completely clear the books but i'd say the more realistic number is probably around 15 for next offseason max
0: and you know what next offseason we've gone over this a million times it's not an exciting free agency Yep. Uh, I think there's you know that's an opportunity to possibly grab a fit for the Suns uh, in that offseason. If that's how they decide to go, if they decide to preserve their cap space for twenty twenty one, that might be the the better path. But the flexibility is the key point. You want to be able to have the option to uh, jump into twenty twenty or twenty twenty free agency if that's what you want to do.
2: Yeah, and I think we'll get into that a little bit later when we talk about Dario Saric. They've definitely got options around him Mm -hmm. and that power forward position. But before we do that, Max, I think we should go to our next segment, which we're essentially wrapping up three moves in our Suns free agency segment here, starting with the recently inked Cali Oubre, two years, $30 million declining. And I'm going to ask you for your rating straight off the top here, because we're not going to talk... Uh, specifically about Kelly and the deal because we already did that last episode. Ten,
1: it's
0: a ten. Woo! I, I didn't, I didn't think about this before it happened. Uh, the two year idea, but it, it makes so much sense. I think it's the best possible solution to the Kelly Oubre restricted free agency situation. Yep. Because we, he was. I mean, obviously he came in and enchanted Suns fans. Is the way I'd put it. In fact, you'll hear later in the Melton interview when I, I asked him, because we asked him, uh, spoiler alert, about who his favorite uh, Suns teammate would be. Mm-hmm. And and I, I mentioned maybe Ubre and he's like, that's the fans' favorite. And it's, it's totally true. <laughs> the fans <laughs> love Kelly Oubre. And so I think there has been a little bit of overrating of him uh, because of that. Yeah. Uh, but this is perfect, because he got paid a lot of money, but it's not in a way that will cripple the Suns financially, really, in any way. So I love it. I think it's perfect. I think we brought him back. I think he's happy because he's making plenty of money. I think he's perfectly suited to 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 evaluate with this team. Like, Is the energy really going to be worth it? Is he going to improve? Is he going to realize his ulcer upside? Or is he going to you know figure out how to be more of a role player? It's exactly the right amount of time I want to have uber on this team, David.
2: Yeah, and I'm really glad you ended with that. I'll go to my rating. I, would, I said an 8. Maybe I was a little harsh. There's some trends here. I'm kind of sitting a little bit more in the middle, and you're going you know, you're, you're penalizing for the bad deals and going really, really good for the good ones, which is I'm going a, an interesting way to look at it. Um, probably says more about you and I, particularly as people, more than anything, I think, Max. But, you know, <laughs> I made a Rudy Gay comp during the week about Caliubre, and I won't go into that too much. People can go check it out on my Twitter if they want to look at all the stats that I brought up. You know, essentially looked at fourth-year guys around six seven or taller that had the stats that, Kelly had with Phoenix in 40 or so games last year and Rudy Gay came up I think as the closest comp for me and you mentioned there like you might get his upside or he might decide that he's you know happy in his role as a a role player and that's kind of happened in Rudy Gay's career I think they gave him a five-year extension at the time quite a lot of money I think it was about 13 million dollars it started with but the cap was only half of what it is now I think it was 58 million or something off the top of my head so quite a large portion of the cap and they were still hoping that he was going to be the franchise guy at the time I think and now the Rudy Gay that we're seeing uh, at the Spurs is probably more in line with what we hope Kelly Oubre is on that team is that is that doing him too much of a disservice to say that, Max? No, not
0: at all. Uh, I, I think if Ubre can figure out how to be Spurs Rudy gay now and get into that role player mindset while he still has his young 23, 24 year old athleticism, mm-hmm. that would pretty much be ideal. I mean I mean I guess ideal would be Ubre becoming an all-star. Yes. You know, but, but that, that 10% outcome aside, ideal would be him getting into that Rudy gay Spurs role where he's really developed himself into like a really helpful player for the Spurs. Uh, if you can do that now, that that would be optimal. I, I guess the last point I want to make too is that the other thing that's great about this deal, and I, I didn't I didn't mention this, is that if Uber just doesn't work out at all and it's just awful. <laughs> He's not a star, or he, and he also doesn't embrace his role. Yeah, the Suns can get out of that pretty quick.
2: And it's another expiring, not this yes season, but going into the next one and into the which big, is the more important one. The big off season where they they yep. are, I guess structuring up to have a lot of cap space before Ayton and, and Bridges have their extensions. So just like the rest of the league, David. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think you know that. You know, you're you probably right with your 10 because for those points that we're making, that's why this deal in particular and the context of it, rather than looking at the context of what other people around the league got and things like that is, yeah, they nailed it. It's a perfect deal. You can find out whether he's going to be that star or that role player and, and happy role player and then, I guess, pay him accordingly in a couple of years' time. But probably the big thing to discuss here is Mikhail versus Ubre. Um, and it's a nice segue, I think, into that, because it all really depends on what Kelly thinks he can be on this team about whether you would start him over Mikael Bridges in the starting lineup, Max.
0: Yeah, I actually sort of changed my take on this lately. I, you have? I, I, I was initially a, you got to start Mikael guy. Mm-hmm. And now, a thing, this is more about the fact that it's just overrated who technically starts the game. And I understand why Kelly Oubre would want to start the game, because it's important to be labeled as an NBA starter. Yep. So my idea is to have Ubre start the game and then pull him out at like you know I don't know early on the eight minute mark maybe. Yep. You know whatever the first sub is, generally seven eight minutes. And you bring in Mikel then let Mikel play with the starters. Then you bring back Ubre kind of when you're subbing in for Booker and everybody else when you're bring when you're bringing in Tyler Johnson for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That whole like the bench wave and then Ubre plays with them. I think that solves a lot of the uh, concerns that people like uh Olson and Olson, Kevin Zimmerman have expressed on the Empire of the Suns podcast, where that you know there's just not a lot of scoring and athleticism on the second unit, and really Ubre is gonna be your second best scorer probably next season. I mean we'll see. Hopefully it's Aiton, but it, in terms of like an affirmative, I'm gonna take over score. It's probably gonna be Ubre. Yeah. If I had to make a guess, so to have that in the bench unit is probably more important. Than having it in the starting unit so i think it's kind of like a have your cake and eat it too sort of approach Start Oubre, but really focus more on having him play with the bench. Yeah.
2: Max, I don't think you did this on purpose, but you just spoke about Kelly Oubre leading the bench wave for the Phoenix Suns. (laughs) I love it. It's perfect. (laughs) Love it. we we got another nickname for the bench mob next season, I think, if they go down that route. And I happen to agree with you. I'm a little bit sad because this is one that we used to butt heads on and you've kind of come back... We only have
0: so many things we fight
2: on, David. It's sad when we lose one. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I I thought we might go into this one coming from opposite angles, but we really agree. So I, I can probably just touch on a couple of points and then we can move on. Monty mentioned at Summer League in one of the press conferences that the one, the two, and the five are essentially set and the other spots are open, which I love going into training camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kelly even mentioned in his press conference, I think that he was going into camp to battle for his spot and, and Monty loved that answer and said as much on the microphone after Kelly answered that one. So I think ultimately, I think Saric and Ubre win out, but I'm loving going into camp with this new competitiveness that this roster has brought brought out and we'll get into a bit of that later with the rotation but you know keep it open for all three of those guys to win out on the two spots and then the other point that you made is it really doesn't matter who starts a lot of the time it actually matters who finishes and I think Mikael Bridges will be finishing a lot of games for the Phoenix Suns in due time. And, you know, I made a point during the week, I was speaking with two good friends of this show, Ali and Zona, who have been on the pod before. And I actually want to see some offensive switches out late in games where Booker can actually play with a five out offense. And that might even mean that Aiton mm. is benched sometimes. Uh, you know, how good would it be if Aiton's actually been brought on for defense, Max, if you were taking timeouts <laughs> to switch offense and defense? But, you know, we spoke before about Frank being maybe more of a backup five and you know booker has the highest foul rate in the entire nba in iso situations so if there's times where they need a bucket to win a game five out is probably not a bad idea and that might mean that we see Saric, Ubre and bridges all on the floor sometimes and just surrounding booker with all those shooters that james jones has compiled max
0: i don't think we can rule out literally anything because i think that this front offices and this coach's perspective is going to be Listen, we had this past half decade where we had to, we forced our coaches to play these bad players. Yes. And we forced these rotations. Not anymore. This rotation is going to be, I think it's going to be, safe to say, an entire meritocracy. Mm-hmm. Like, like if Aiton's awful, he'll probably still play. That might be like the only thing that would be the exception to it. I guess Booker too, but Booker's not going to be totally awful. Yep. He even probably won't either, but it's possible. But other than that, it's going to be a meritocracy. Whoever the best player is going to play. If Kaminsky's the best player on the team, guess what? He's going to play 40 minutes a game. Sorry, U of A fans. Like That's how this is going to go. And I, for one, am very excited for it. They're going to operate like a real NBA team for once.
2: I love it. And I think that's a great segue into our next section, which happens to be the Ricky Rubio signing. But again, mm. we have done that one to death. So we're going to jump into something that I think you want to discuss us here max but before we do i need a rating for ricky rubio please at three years 51 million dollars
0: yeah it's interesting i i think i'm gonna give it a seven okay they really needed to get a point guard it was very obvious everyone knew it although it seems like national media has forgotten (laughs) was it the perfect possible fit of all time no it really wasn't was rubio worth 17 million dollars a year probably not that's why this is a seven not a ten but they're the Phoenix Suns. They're not the Golden State Warriors. They don't pick and choose who they want to bring on.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And they found themselves somebody who is like the quintessential NBA point guard, as we've mentioned a few times. He's only 28. He's not like over the hill totally. I've, I've talked about his miles before. That is a real concern. But he is a guy in his prime who is a great point guard. And if the Phoenix Suns had to overpay a little bit to get that, to make sure that their team is stabilized, I think that's okay and if NBA writers want to give Fs to this because you know because they, the Suns I guess had Brandon Knight and Eric Bledsoe at one point 5 years ago then sure give us an F for it <laughs> but all, all I'm looking at is next season and Rubio is going to help tremendously not in the least bit because he puts Tyler Johnson as our as our sixth man and third guard which is just a, a, a huge upgrade in itself so overall what Rubio did to the guard rotation for me is at least a 7 and I've given it a 7 because of the uh, possible overpay and the you know less than ideal fit.
2: And I've given it an 8, and I don't need to say anything else other than that, Max, because you nailed all of my thoughts on the Rubio signing. So we can jump into the 538 discussion that I think you wanted to have, Max.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to point out that the stats are backing up what what you and I have been saying mm-hmm. and not what the angry national media hate the sun, not angry. I would say more mocking yep. national media has said about the suns. And then also maybe more than negative suns commenters. The sun's obviously improved. It's, it's just blatantly. It's right there. You, you see people say the sun's, I can't find out what their plan was. Are they even better? These are actual quotes from national writers uh, <laughs> guys. Their plan was to get better right away so that Aiton and Booker's careers weren't wasted. And the even the advanced stats of all things, which <laughs> have been the bane of Suns fans' existence over the past few years, <laughs> are showing the same thing. Not only, uh, as you cited, 538 had us with 35 wins, which is far above, I think, what even most like, positive Suns fans are saying. Agreed. Uh, no friend of Suns fans, Andy Bailey, uh, ranked on Forbes the teams in terms of the uh, wins above replacement war. Difference mm-hmm. between last season and this season. The Suns were sixth in the entire NBA between last season and this season in wow. terms of how much their war changed. So, and that's above like the Jazz were like way low and they had a, a, a great offseason according to everybody else, which I agree with, by the way, but making my point here. The Suns had a good offseason in terms of making their team better. Did they lose some value on some trades? Yes. Did they maybe not make all the best draft picks? I think so. We'll see. But in terms of just making sure this team is going to be better next year and making sure Aiton and Booker aren't surrounded by just a pile of trash, this offseason was a very, 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 very large success. Yep,
2: I agree. And we'll get to that with our final ratings at the end here, I think. But, yeah, I'm a little gun-shy. A few people have asked me on, um, you know, Twitter and things of a, a win prediction. The last two years, I've I've mocked the Vegas over under on the Suns and been horribly wrong, uh, and I think our last season predictions for wins were were pretty bad and and maybe a little bit misguided, Max, because I thought you know we thought they were going to do a few more things before we uh, gave those win predictions. So I don't know if they can get to thirty five, but here's what I do know, Max: the returning guys are all upgrades because of. Either their youth or their new role. So Booker, Ayton, Kelly, and Mikhail should all improve because they're young enough to do so. And Tyler is a downgraded role, so he's an improvement. In that role as well, the new guys. Rubio's far better than anything that we had at point guard in 1819. Saric is obviously going to be better than Dragon Bender, and I think Baines is going to be better than Holmes in that role. Although I'm sure that's maybe the one that a lot of people might disagree with. And then after that eight-man rotation, Frank's probably better than anyone else who played at a big man position last year on the team. Uh, virtually anyone on the court is going to be better than Josh Jackson, who we're about to get to in a minute, Max. And, you know, the collection of Diallo and rookies who are likely to not play very much anyway are probably better than the other bit part players on last year's team as well. So I'm not convinced that there's one single position, one through 15 on this roster, that isn't in a better spot this year than last year. So... You know, I don't think it was a 19 win team overall anyway, because I think a few things happened to the point where it was probably more of a 25 ish win team roster last year. So that's a 10 win leap based on 538, which isn't totally crazy, although they probably could have just signed. Terry Rozier and got those 10 extra wins, Max.
0: Oh God, Jesus Christ. I can't <laughs> believe the Charlotte Hornets. But well, I, I do want to focus on a couple of things you just said though, because I think it, I think it's really interesting. So as you kind of pointed, out, this is not factor in at all improvement from Booker Aiton and Mikel and Oubre. Mm-hmm. In fact, I don't think it factors in Ubre or Tyra Johnson at all. I think they're, they're already included in the last roster. Yes. So that doesn't even factor in, which is a huge part of this. And yes, we will get on to the uh, Josh Jackson De'Anthony Melton trade. Which, man, I really wanted to to give Melton props for the fact that he was traded uh, as a, as a, the pro, the total prize to dump a number four overall pick <laughs> from just a few years ago. I couldn't put it quite that way because I just thought that was kind of a rude thing to do, but. Uh,
2: yeah, that is what happened. All right, well, shall we go on to Jackson and Melton then and get your rating straight off the top? I was a five, but based on how these ratings are going, I'm guessing you might be a little less than that, Max.
0: Easy one, uh, clear one for me. Cause there were so many other ways they could have done this. Yep. And, and I think, so, I'll, I mean, I'm going to get that out of the way. It was a one. I think it was a horrible trade. It, to me, it makes no sense. If I was in that front office, I think there were like, uh, you know, 20 different ways I would have pursued that same exact thing. Mm-hmm. But I you know at the same time, I think that it has really colored, particularly I went after Zach Lowe, who was like my favorite favorite person in the NBA. I love him as an analyst. I think he's the best. but I still went after him because I think he was just wrong about, uh, to frame the entire offseason through this one trade. Yeah because yes, I know that this trade was to clear up cap space to sign Rubio and they had to get rid of Anthony Melton, who I obviously love and also some draft capital to do it. First of all, they could have done it a different way. They could have just stretched Josh Jackson. Yes. And at the same time, it doesn't mean all the moves prior were bad moves. Just because they had somewhat of a cause in creating this move to happen, that's just. I think that's just bad analysis. So while I'm giving this move a one, I am not attributing that. Well, I'm not using that one to make every other move before it uh, a, a lesser grade, as I think some analysts are doing.
2: Yeah, that's a fair point. I looked at this a little bit more simply. I gave it a 10 out of 10 for having the balls to get off Jackson because <laughs> I think that maybe the previous GM, for instance, wouldn't have done that. And then I you know, essentially split it in half uh, because they should have stretched instead of making this trade, in my opinion. So maybe I gave them too much credit for just having the balls to get off Jackson. Can I but...
0: argue with you a little bit here, David? Yeah, sure. I think if they had true balls, they would have just stretched them. I think part of the reason why they didn't do that is because they didn't want to be seen as cutting the number four overall pick from two years ago. That's like an embarrassing thing to do. Mm-hmm. At least if it's in a trade, they can like argue they like the they like Javon Carter or whatever, whatever they want to argue. I think it might be part of it.
2: Yeah, which is a perfect segue into our question here. And is Javon Carter going to stick on this roster because there's varying opinions on this. I genuinely think that he was just a throw in because Memphis actually have a bit of a roster crunch going on. So he was probably the least wanted guy that they were just willing to offload the other way. I think you do make a good point about there being somewhat of a prize for the Suns coming back the other way. So they weren't slammed too much, but it probably didn't work because the national media piled it on anyway. But I should say... Uh, the opposite point to that is that Jones did reference him and not Ali Akobo on a radio interview this week. So maybe they are thinking that he's going to stick over Akobo, who you alluded to earlier on in the show, might be done in Phoenix. But what's your opinion on Carter sticking on this roster, Max?
0: I think they're going to give him a chance. Yep. I think half cynically because they want to make the trade look better. Uh, but I think also the other half being, you know, listen, there is some. To like about uh, Javon Carter. You and I identified it last year yep. when we talked about him as part of our draft podcast. The dude is a really, really good one-on-one defender. Absolutely, he is. Uh, we had both hoped maybe his offense would have translated a little bit into the NBA. It was, uh, in a word, terrible yep. last season. And it's hard to see him going from that bad of an offensive uh, season to even reasonable uh, offensively. So... I'm not high on him, but I understand why James Jones, especially given his affinity for competitive players, which Javon Carter is, I'm not surprised that he would want to give him a chance. And even, uh, not even dishonestly, just for the trade reason, but also have some sort of honest feeling that Javon Carter might be a good player.
2: Yeah, and I think at the end of your bench in those kind of 13, 14, 15 spots, you either want developing players or specialists. Mm -hmm, And whilst Carter may be... Can't develop into much more of a player, particularly over someone like DeAnthony Melton, who we both loved upside wise. He is a specialist that you might be able to throw out there when a point guard's killing you or whatever and just be a bulldog on defense. So, but you know, I think, you know, if Ali is traded for a player, I think you and I have both noted that maybe backup shooting guard or something is still an open spot on this depth chart. And then someone like Tariq Owens is awesome in training camp. I, I do think that there's a chance with all the point guards on this roster that carter is cut before the start of the season
0: oh it's absolutely possible uh, particularly given the fact that they they signed the and the looked good and i think we're getting to him next probably so i i, I won't i won't uh, totally ruin that segment but there's just a lot of guards here and i think javon carter he'll get a chance because of the trade obviously but it's gonna be he's gonna have to really show something very quickly to stick
2: Yep, you are playing this podcast like Ricky Rubio as a table-setting point guard, Max, because we're jumping into the draft section of this podcast now and starting with Jalen Lequeux. So we discussed his summer league play on last episode, so again, not one that we need to go in too much on his actual play and what type of player he is. But another opportunity to get a little nerdy real quick, Max, and it's a four-year, $6.1 million deal that has the first two years guaranteed, the third year is a non-guarantee, which the team decides on that, and the fourth year is a team option. And that's important, that team option in the last year, because, Max, you spoke last episode about him being, you know, a bit of a lottery ticket, You know, no risk, uh, high reward if he hits. And you get three years control to find that out. You then can decline the fourth-year option and make him a restricted free agent. Uh, Nikola Jokic is an example of someone that had that happen to them recently as a second-round pick. And then you can lock him up again with literally zero risk of losing him. You're in total control there. Uh, Even if someone offers him a lot of money, you can match it. So for that reason... He is my sole 10 out of 10, Max.
0: I am not in a position to disagree with you because I totally agree. In fact, if I could, I'd probably give him a 15. <laughs> I, w- I would like to lower the previous ratings to make him the obvious 10. Because if you're drafting an, or sorry, signing an undrafted free agent after the draft, like what are your expectations? They're usually going to be pretty low. Mm-hmm. Off, especially on a 19-year-old point guard with athleticism. Like Usually you expect that guy to suck. Yes. At basketball, right away, and Jalen the doesn't suck at basketball. Most of our
2: second round picks have sucked at basketball recently. Oh my Max. god!
0: <laughs> Remember when Brian McDonald drafted Davon Reed, thirty-two overall? Remember oh, that, man? Alec, so we're, Alec we're, Peters. Jalen the Q is a better pick than all of them, and he wasn't even a pick. Correct. I, I think it's such an. I, I, this is the obvious, most obvious ten ever for me on this rating scale. Just if you're just judging based on what they could have done, it, it seems that they very clearly uh, paved the way for him to not get drafted and to get to this deal. Yep. Uh, Brendan, Brendan, clean, when we did our crossover podcast. Sort of alluded to uh, Jalen the Q mentioning that he did. Uh, I, I think that's what happened. And guess what? That's a, just a struck of genius. Because I, it seems like J, uh, James Jones is based on what he his, his idea of the players he wants these to be players who are sort of good at basketball kind of. Mm-hmm. And, and Jalen McHugh fits that mold totally. Not only is he athletic, as you know everyone's been raving about, he takes charges, he plays, he plays team defense, he actually like, does the little things and as a player of his uh, type, that is incredibly rare and it gives me all the kind of hope in the world that he could actually be something. Again, still a lottery ticket, but given he's undrafted and given he has all those qualities, it's an easy 10 out of 10 for me.
2: Yep, and we should just touch on, again, like you did at the top, don't come at us with these ratings. We're Mm -hmm. not giving it a 10 out of 10 because we think he's a surefire all-star in the future in the NBA. It's the fact that the context of this deal and how they got him, it's a 10 out of 10 deal for what other options that they had, Uh, And they've got four years now on the lowest you can pay someone in the NBA to find out if he can be a great player in the league in the future. So I was a 10, you were a 10. We very much agree on that one, which moves us to the trade around Aaron Baines and Ty Jerome, which I'm going to give you the floor on this one, Max. But straight up, tell me who won the trade and what's your grade for this deal?
0: So this is one where I'm going to cite the, the Dunked On podcast here because I, I as much criticism as they get, I do think they're really good at assessing just pure asset value. Yep. I don't think they're as good at player evaluation, but I think they're good at that. And they thought the Suns won this trade pretty easily, and, and so do I. And the key reason why is that it's the time value of money. It's a basic economic concept that applies to the NBA, too. Draft picks now are worth more than draft picks later. Mm-hmm. That's just how the value of assets works in the world. And the Suns basically got... You can argue over where the Bucks pick will be next year, but it'll probably be worse, but maybe about the same as the pick that the Celtics gave the Suns this year, number 24 overall.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So the fact that you get number 24 this year rather than probably worse than that next year, and you're also getting a player who is viewed by almost everybody as being on a good deal, Aaron Baines is a backup center. Uh, you know, some people would rather have kept Holmes, but that's sort of beside the point because they made the same amount of money. Yep. A good player on a good deal, and you've got a better draft asset, it's kind of like the most clear win you could possibly have on a trade. So I'm confused by the reaction that I've seen where that could possibly be a, a loss. I think it's only viewed as a loss because of sort of the rest of the Suns offseason, which I want to touch on a little more uh, with the next thing we're going to talk about. Yep. But uh, I'd give it. I'm going to give it a 10. I'm going to give it a 10, David. Another 10 from me.
2: Love it. I absolutely love it. I gave it an eight just because I'm not as high on Ty Jerome as you are. And even with the this deal and the next one, I would have taken different people with the draft slot that they got. But I agree with all of your points. So again, you have managed to be able to let me just give my rating and essentially move on. But before we do jump to that last 10th, Transaction or, or combo of transactions, Max. I thought we'd have a little roster exercise in this section because we've talked about Baines and Jerome quite a bit in previous pods. So uh, I'm going to let you analyze and answer some questions here with a roster that I, and a rotation, I should say, that I've kind of come up with for the Suns for next season. Are you, you game? Always dangerous, but I'm in. <laughs> All right. So the first slot for me is center and, you know, Baines ties into this. Aiton played thirty minutes last year. What would you like? I I say thirty four for Aiton.
0: Yeah, I mean it depends on his conditioning. I think that was the problem with him last year. Sure. But if he can if he can go thirty on men, in. I'd even play him more than that if he's if he's able to.
2: Yep, go. and I love that James Jones mentioned the conditioning this week because it was a sign that he actually agreed with a point that I made mm-hmm. all last year. So that leaves fourteen minutes at backup center, which I'm just giving most nights to Aaron Baines playing that role. Fourteen minutes at backup center so we can move on to the second slot we've spoken about this quite a bit kelly played 30 minutes with phoenix do you think that's about right again
0: yes i do i think especially because in my view of the Suns, he's going to be a large part of the bench unit and probably closes and starts he's at least 30 minutes for kelly
2: Yep, which leaves 18 minutes again at backup small forward, which I'm going to give all of those 18 to Mikael Bridges and try and find him some more elsewhere. Yep. Which moves us to power forward. As a starter with Philly, Saric played 30 minutes a night. Are you cool with that? Real quick, I want to point out that I think Kelly
0: Urej could get some of his minutes at power forward just to be, you know, totally completist here. Yep. Uh, Sorry, what did
2: Saric have? 30.
0: Yeah, that's probably about right. Maybe even a little less than that. We'll, We'll see. It depends on how well he plays, but... About 30 is probably a good average.
2: And again, that leaves 18 minutes of backup power forward, which we talked about before. I think this is probably the most open and probably going to be down to matchups and form every night, but for now, I'm just going to say, you know, 18 minutes a night to Frank isn't totally out of the question if he's playing Form, well.
0: Form is key, David, and the other thing I want to mention is injury. Yes. Because whenever you're doing a, a hypothetical rotation, you have to keep an account that there will be injuries. Of
2: course. So the fourth slot here is shooting guard. I want to keep Booker to around 34 a night max. Do you agree? Depends.
0: Totally depends. If he comes into next season in kick-ass shape... He's twenty. He's, he'll be twenty three in October next season, right, David? Yes. There's no reason why if he's not an incredible like eight pack abs, like kick ass <laughs> basketball player shape, he could play forty minutes a game. I'd be fine with it. If he's doughy, then no. So it's tough. But as an average, I'll say thirty six.
2: All right. So you're going thirty six. I'm going thirty four. That leaves between twelve and fourteen minutes a night at backup shooting guard. I think Mikhail needs to play at least 30 minutes a night. So that's the 12 more minutes here. Yep. And James Jones, I believe, has alluded to this through a few people in the media that we might see some bridges at backup shooting guard. So that gets him up to around 30 uh, and leaves maybe two minutes up our sleeves. And Johnson can play 18 minutes a night at backup point guard uh, with a couple more at backup shooting guard as a combo to get him around 20 minutes which leaves Rubio who's averaged 30 minutes a night for his whole career basically which I think is about right for him too so that's kind of the rotation I'm looking at here Max which is a nine-man rotation every night but the point here is that it misses a lot of guys you know no Ty Jerome no Cam Johnson no Cech Diallo Uh, or Frank, depending on matchups and things like that. And, of course, no Carter, Okobo, or LeQ right now, which is fine too. So especially for those recent draft picks and what we talked about before, being into this idea, there's competition for spots. And, you know, we're not going to see everyone every given night, which I think is a great thing, not a bad thing.
0: I think it's the best thing. It's a meritocracy, finally. Like If if you're not going to (laughs) bring it every night, if you're going to be the guy who doesn't listen to what the coach is saying and doesn't execute the game plan, guess what? You're not going to play. Unless your name is Devin Booker or DeAndre, and then you're playing regardless. Yep. But we are kind of tied to those guys anyway, so it doesn't matter what they do. That Please please be nice, Devin and DeAndre. <laughs> but yeah, every, everybody else, listen, you got to show it in training camp, and you got to show it every single day during the season. And I don't care how talented you are at really anything. I don't want to get into like a huge philosophical point here. Yep. But talent only goes so far. You, you have to apply yourself. You have to actually try. And the fact that the Suns are finally embracing that, Uh, And not living in Ryan McDonough's asset value matrix, uh, I think it's a good thing.
2: So much more margin for error with this roster, I think, which I love from James Jones. And he's probably not getting enough credit for with people just taking pot shots at his bad value deals. But you alluded to moving on to the last deal here and having some thoughts on that. So let's do that, Max. Saric, and Cam Johnson were part of a trade and I'm also going to throw the TJ cap clearing trade into this for good measure just because it leaves us with around number 10 transactions for the offseason and they were kind of you know announced pretty close to each other on draft day maybe a couple of hours apart so if you can think about bringing Sarich and Cam Johnson in and trading out the number 6 pick as well as The TJ move uh, with 32 to clear his space. How would you throw all that together and give it a rating, Max?
0: Again, I must emphasize, please do not call us out on Twitter for these rankings because we're literally assigning the same value to this as we assigned to the Tariq Owens deal. (laughs) So let's not freak out over what David and I did here, but... Man, because I think they made a mistake with the Cam Johnson thing, but I also think that they did a great job with the TJ trade Mm -hmm. and the Cyrus trade in general. You've really put me me in a pickle here, David. I guess I just had to set with a five because uh, how else? I don't know four because Brandon Clark was the fucking summer League MVP, so let's go (laughs) four.
2: Yeah, I had the same philosophy as you but ended as a seven. I gave TJ a nine, getting Sarich an eight, and then I gave the whole... You know, move of not getting Culver, not picking Clark, and instead taking Cam as a five. So for me, that averaged out at a seven. But philosophically, we were pretty much on the same page there. But as I said, you alluded to it before. What's what's your thoughts around this one? Not necessarily the players, because we've covered them all quite a bit in the past, but what's your, your overarching thought here, Max?
0: I have a pet theory that I've, I've run by you and our friend Chris Koppel that had the Suns just taken Brandon Clark 11, aside from the fact that I wanted it even, I think it would have been seen as like a trendy, cool pick Mm -hmm. uh, by NBA media and NBA Twitter and basically everybody, rather than Cam Johnson, which was seen as like a, a super reach and a crazy dumb pick, and oh my god, what are the Suns doing? Yep. And I think not only did it color everyone's analysis of that pick, which obviously it should have, I mean, you should analyze that pick based on what you think uh, it was good or not. Yep. But I think it ended up coloring everyone's analysis of the entire offseason. I think had you had them pick Brandon Clark there, and he was a summer league MVP, you'd have people like, you know, national NBA writers saying, oh, wow, they got Rubio as a good starting point guard. Finally, they took a great pick with Brandon Clark. Oh, they got Ty Jerome. Lots of people love Ty Jerome. Aaron Bates, championship experience. Like the whole framing of the entire offseason would be different if they had just made one different pick at number 11. Yep. I really think that. And I think that's obviously like a bad analysis. I mean, if you put it that way, it is. And listen, I'm just this is hypothetical. No one knows if what I'm saying is true or not right now. But I think you agree with me. This does kind of feel like what would have happened.
2: Yeah. And I think we're actually seeing that in how people are looking at the Dario Saric portion of this trade to bring it back to those yep. these deals in particular because I think I'm seeing a lot of people freaking out that they've backed themselves into some sort of corner it's for a lose-lose situation if Dario plays well we're going to overpay him and if he doesn't play well then it was a wasted opportunity and I think that misses two points if he plays well we're going to have the chance to pay him his market rate to stay on the Phoenix Suns and that's not an overpay that's paying him what he's worth uh, the only risk would be if you extended him before the season started, which Callan Olsen, our good buddy, uh, brought up the idea of doing in an article this week, which was, I thought, a really interesting look just you know, at that being something that can happen this offseason if the Suns chose to do so. I think McDee definitely would have looked at that, but James Jones is a bit more of a show-me-you-kind-of-deserve-it kind of guy. And then the other thing is, I think if it doesn't go all that well, they still found themselves with a starting power forward before free agency even started and one less thing to worry about. So from that perspective, I think it was a great deal as well. So yeah, I I agree with your point overall. I think one pick, one player different would have changed the whole outlook and that probably rounds out this whole... Uh, exercise here. No, I mean, which...
0: you, you make the best point ever there, David, in terms of how people were framing the Dario Sarge thing. Yep. I just want to quote the, the Yahoo article, which gave the Suns an F for the offseason after saying they're stumbling through it. <laughs> Here's the quote that they said In the draft, Jones, referring to James Jones, traded out of the sixth spot for the rights to pay Sarge and Ferengi next summer. Hey, hey, guy, that's not everything. He does, he does play for the Suns this year, too. <laughs> you realize that, right? That's not, that's not everything. You don't, we just don't get the rights to pay him. It's just, this is the kind of framing thing that makes me uh, really annoyed. It's just, you put two seconds of thought into this guy. I, I can tell you did that, and it's probably your job. But if you're criticized by Suns fans who follow this stuff, like you and me, David... Like you know, almost to a religious extent, yep. and you try to jump into Twitter to fight us about it. It like listen, man, you didn't think about this, so don't fight us on that. That's that's my last grand standing point. I got to make David go on.
2: Yeah, I agree, and you're kind of backing up the whole exercise that we've gone through here. I was adding up as you were talking there. You've ended up at sixty six out of a hundred max, and I am at seventy five out of a hundred, and I think. You gave a B last episode on the crossover with the Locked On guys, and I gave an A. So the interesting thing there is I think on those grades, we added in the coach Mm -hmm. part of it, and we were both positive on that part of it. So, you know, actually going through this exercise, we're pretty consistent with our last episode's um, answers here. And and that was really the point that I wanted to make with this exercise is uh, there's been a lot of commentary around the Suns Off season, but when you look at it in totality, they made some bad moves. They made some really good ones, and overall, I think they had a pretty solid off season. Particularly from where they were positioned before July one or even you know June one. I totally agree.
0: I would I would challenge a single Suns fan to say that they're less excited to watch the Suns at Game one of this season than they were like at any time last season. Yeah, this team is obviously going to be better. It's, It's going to be more watchable. And, and listen did they make giant upside reaching moves no not really although it's arguably they didn't really have any available to them mm-hmm. but they accomplished the, the big goal here and they didn't mortgage the future they didn't trade McKel, they didn't trade a future first they they lost some value maybe on De'Anthony Melton who I do really like and you're about to hear from uh and some second round pick value and T.J. Warren to people who like him yeah we gave him away but like there's nothing the Suns did this offseason that's like in five years is going to really, really matter. I don't think in terms of negative stuff. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they put themselves in a position to have a competitive team, a team that can help Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton develop, which is really all that matters, and they're able to do that without mortgaging the future, that's that seems like a pretty good uh, use of the offseason to me, David. What do you think?
2: I think you're bang on again, and I'm going to count that as you reaching your 10th assist here and getting the double-double for the podcast. Double-double! Mentioning Melton right there at the end, because we can probably wrap this one up and throw to that segment, Max.
0: Let's do it! Yeah, thank you, David, for joining. Unfortunately, you couldn't make the next part, but uh, without further ado, here is Grizzlies guard. The Anthony Melton. He is the first human being to both appear on this podcast and play professional basketball. He started 31 games last year at point guard for the Phoenix Suns, and he is now entering his second NBA season as a guard for the Memphis Grizzlies. His name is Mountain. Melton. D'Anthony, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, of course.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I especially appreciate you taking the time to play. I understand you're currently on the way to Memphis. Is that right? Like you're moving right now? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm getting everything situated with that. Uh, I got a move coming up, soon, probably the next week or two.
0: I feel like the trades happen, fans focus immediately on like what the players are going to look like on their new teams and all that stuff. If I were a player, I feel like the first thing I'd think is like, damn it, I have to move in 100 degree weather. That sucks.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, it does. It's tough, but you know, you got help with it also. You got to be lucky, So it's not the worst thing in the world.
0: And you have experience doing it already, so that helps.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: <laughs> so, De'Anthony, I basically want to spend most of this podcast diving into, like, your entire professional career so far because I, you can tell me, but from the outside looking in, it kind of seems like it's been an absolute roller coaster.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's, that's the NBA, you know. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, You've got to be grateful to be, you know, with inside the league, honestly, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to grasp right now, you know, get a hold of.
0: Yeah, it's especially coming fast for you. Most people, I, I know NBA is a business. Everyone gets thrown around a little bit. But, man, just to summarize for the listeners who may not know what's happened to you over the past year and a half, first of all, you were forced to prepare for the NBA draft without a sophomore season because, and this is me speaking, not the Anthony, idiotic college rules. You then fell way too far in the NBA draft because, and again, this is not the Anthony, this is me. NBA teams are stupid. You then had a great summer league performance for the Rockets. Then a month later, you got traded to Phoenix anyway, basically because Houston needed to get rid of a different player's salary. You then started the season not playing at all, and then you became the starting point guard. You then had an injury that knocked you out for weeks, and and the Suns traded for another point guard in the interim. And then finally, a few weeks ago, you got traded again to the Memphis Grizzlies in another trade that was about clearing another player's salary. Anthony, did I miss anything there?
1: (laughs) No, that that sounds like it. That was pretty spot on, honestly.
0: So that's kind of what I want to focus on. Because like you said, you're being humble. Like, you know, everyone has a, a crazy career in the NBA. But yours has been, I think, especially crazy. So let's just dive into it. I want to start kind of near the beginning of that crazy timeline. Again, you, you were forced to, you know, prepare for the draft without a college season and impress NBA teams without actually playing organized basketball. How do you think that had an effect on, on you in the draft process? Do you think it affected where you ultimately ended up? And, and was kind of what, was your, what was your mindset at the time?
1: Um, I'm not sure if it affected uh, me falling in the draft or if I did fall in the draft, but I think around that time, my mindset was just, you know, just keep getting better. And I just want to prove NBA teams that, like, I was working on my game from my, my freshman season to my sophomore year because mm. technically, this, this would have been my sophomore year. So I just wanted to show teams that I was improving my game and I was able to make that, you know, that jump. And my game has evolved from what everybody thought it was to something, you know, that was an NBA caliber playing God and that's what I wanted to show, and I felt like I did it. I had a good job of showing that, but also not having enough game film, you know, um, that could be a reason why I did fall, but I'm just glad the Houston Rockets, you know, they gave me the opportunity, and then once I got my opportunity, I just, you know, every second I got, I just, you know, made the most of it.
0: Yeah, you really did, not and we'll get to that uh, in a second, but I want to ask you about something you said, so you said you were trying to show NBA teams you were working on your game. How did you do that? I mean, I know obviously at the Combine and then you had workouts with teams, but was there anything you were doing before that to, to keep yourself on the radar for NBA teams? Like, were you? I, I'm sure you probably weren't sending workout videos of yourself to them, but how did you make sure you stayed on the radar?
1: Um, well, I was working out with Drew Hanley and mm-hmm. I had a few workouts with like teams that came up to watch some workout at uh, two different pro days with uh isc basketball and also uh Hansen too so i was just trying to put myself in front of teams as much as possible they could see me and see the type of player i was so ultimately you ended up going 46
0: overall to the houston rockets and uh before i tell you about this community of people who i'm not sure you're aware of who were shocked by this who loved you and and were surprised we'll get to that in a second i want to ask you first why do you think you fell to forty-six overall? If you had to, if you had to identify a reason, or even if the NBA teams told you why?
1: Um, honestly, I don't know if I have a real reason because everybody has different opinions on 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 why I was picked at this number. So I just mostly looked at it once my name was called. I was just happy for that because not all you know, not all the best players are taken uh, top thirty. So a lot of great players that came out the second round too. So I was just thinking about it like that after my name was called.
0: Yeah, wasn't uh, Nikola Jokic around there somewhere? I think he's in the 40s.
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, yeah, I think so.
0: Anthony? Yeah, I want to ask you, do you know what draft Twitter is?
1: Draft Twitter?
0: Yeah. Oh. Okay, so there's this thing called draft Twitter, which is basically just a bunch of nerds on the internet who like have gotten really into analyzing the draft and trying to predict who the best players are going to be from college and international into the NBA. And this group of people absolutely loved you. The most famous website uh, on, on draft Twitter called The Steppy and had you 12th in the draft. One of their top draft nerds named Sean Darenthal, who actually works for an NBA team now, had you eighth. I personally, I'm not I'm not part of it really, but I had you 11th. I absolutely loved you for the draft. We all thought you had like a great size and feel for the game, for a point guard especially. Given your feel for the game and, and your size combination and all that stuff, and all this stuff the draft Twitter saw do you think NBA teams just didn't see that? And do you think maybe it's because you weren't playing, you were just in workouts?
1: Um, I would say that, you know, that could be a reason because uh workouts are definitely different from actual like game tape, you know, mm-hmm. game reps. So I can see that be being one of the reasons, but I try not to think about that too much and I try to just like act like in my workouts these were good reps. It's not you're wrapped up in the fact that I didn't play last year because that could that could affect my mindset and clout clouded, you know, some of the decisions I made.
0: It didn't really take you long, though, to show NBA teams that they were they were pretty wrong to let you fall that far. Uh, in Summer League for the Rockets, you averaged 16.4 points, 7.2 rebounds, four assists, and three steals per game. Why do you think your game translated so well right away to Summer League, even though you were out of uh, organized basketball for so long?
1: Honestly, I just felt like I was just ready. Like I said, I, mm-hmm. I worked hard on my game. I really studied everything that has to do with, you know, how, how players played me, and then I just felt like I was just coming through there just having fun, and the Rockets had a lot of faith in me, and they just told me, you know, just go out there and just play, and just try to win, so that's what I did, I just, the whole team, it was just, we were just trying to win at the end of the day, and I felt, like, I felt like our style of play was really, you know, was really fit, it fit me, and it just fit, like, the team that we had, and, and so I felt like my team was responding me, and we were just all moving around, and I was having fun, honestly.
0: So, random question: You said you were having fun, but I have to ask you is Is playing in summer league kind of weird? Because I've been there a few times as a fan, and it's kind of weird to be a spectator there. It's just kind of a weird event. Like it's a bunch of players who are kind of thrown together and never played together before. Is it is it kind of an odd setting to play in?
1: I mean, it it kind of gives you the taste of the NBA season, honestly, hmm. um, because you got games coming up. Uh, sometimes back to back, you got sometimes you got three three games in four days or three games and 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 five days or something like that. So they're just trying to give you a taste of that. But it's it's kind of cool how teams come together so quick and you just gotta work on your, and just find your chemistry game after game and just try to win.
0: So let's move on to the first time you were traded. Late last August you were traded along with Ryan Anderson to Phoenix for Marquise Chris and Brandon Knight. I, it happened pretty late in the night, right? What What were you doing? Where were you? And were you shocked that it happened? Or did you see it coming?
1: Um, It's funny because I was, I was just playing Madden. <laughs> and uh, then, like, my trainer called me. He just kept calling me. and I was listening to music. So it was kind of like, I was like, why is he calling me? And then I think I answered his phone. And then I checked my phone. And two people texted me, like, yo, like, Phoenix is lit. Like, Phoenix question. <laughs> and then I checked Twitter. And then it said, uh, "Ryan Anderson, Anthony Milton I have been traded."
0: So that's interesting. So did did you? Who'd you hear from first? And foremost as a team goes? Did Houston call you eventually, or did Phoenix call you first? Or
1: yeah, no, Phoenix definitely called me right, like right after that. So it wasn't. I wasn't like worried too much.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you didn't see it coming then. So did Houston not give you any kind of indication? Because you said, I mean, they they seemed like they were really invested in you. And I mean and to be fair the trade didn't seem to be about you it was more about Houston uh, doing salary cap things but I, but it sounds like they didn't give you any real indication.
1: No. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think they really had really too much, you know. I was still a rookie and stuff like that, so
0: no, yeah, that's definitely the right attitude. It's just interesting to point that out. It's it's less not it's not a, not to insult Houston. It's just to show more like how crazy the NBA is. Like one moment, yeah. where, like you said, playing Madden, and the next moment you're traded without any kind of notice.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, when you put it like that.
0: Hey, well, real quick, what's your Madden team?
1: <laughs> My Madden team, the Vikings. I'm a Vikings. Oh, is it
0: really? Well, you're gonna have to switch to the yeah. Cardinals. We have Kyler Murray now, so <laughs> they're gonna be awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was, I was gonna be a Cardinals fan, but time to time to change.
0: So. Early in the season uh, with the Suns, you didn't play right away, but you got in pretty quickly. I don't know if you remember this or not. You probably do because it was like the first real game of your career. It was the second game you played uh, against the Spurs. But you really made a lot of Suns fans excited because you had a really good defensive performance in particular. Uh, In 20 minutes against the Spurs, you had three steals, and you really played better defense than, I got to be honest, most Suns fans have seen in like half a decade. Not not really a team known (laughs) for defense. So uh, do you remember that game, and how did you feel after that one?
1: Man. Of course I remember that game. Uh I mean I was just after the game I was just like I was kinda just not shocked, but I was kinda like, like well, I really just played my my first NBA game and it's, it was still kinda like crazy to me. Like the next day that like I was like actually like on the NBA floor and stuff like yeah, that.
0: Yeah, and you played well.
1: Yeah. I was that's what I was more so like confused and shocked about.
0: So what's the toughest thing about adjusting to the NBA in the first few weeks of play? You mentioned the, uh, the Summer League kind of prepares you for the grind a little bit. But I can't imagine it can prepare you for all the travel and all the games and all of that.
1: Oh, yeah. no, Of course not. I mean, like I said, uh, all the stuff they do in Summer League is just a stretched-out season, honestly. So they just come packed with that, and it's just a mm-hmm. whole bunch of just Summer Leagues within, within the NBA season. So if fans want to know, um how it is it's different cities almost every other day you know what i mean it's a lot of flying and stuff like that so if you don't like flying you better you know get used to it
0: yeah that would be really hard to be in the nba if you don't like flying so after you began uh starting games at point guard for the suns which didn't happen it didn't take very long like you went from playing to starting and not that much time how difficult was it to you know, run an nba offense as a starter especially coach igor famously kind of has one of the more complicated offenses in the NBA. How difficult was that for you as a rookie who was never expected to be starting right away to adjust to basically running
1: a team? Um, I feel like I I, feel like I was doing a good job, you know, adjusting to it. Um, it was a new coach, you know, and I was a new player for him too because uh, I was traded there. Mm-hmm. So they already had, you know, that team and stuff like that. So it was kind of tough, you know, I feel like for a new coach and a new player, it was my first year and his first year. Uh, just to be able to get it adjusted to each other. But I feel like we did you know, we did a good job at it and just controlling everything. He really, you know, emphasized controlling the team and taking a you know, taking a team by charge. So I think he helped me with that and being more vocal with stuff.
0: So another random question for you, Anthony. Everyone knows LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, those guys are all awesome. But who's a dude who you didn't really know much about or only knew a little bit about before you got into the NBA that you played against where you were just like Damn, man, that dude's really, really good at basketball, and I had no idea.
1: He's really, really good at basketball. Yeah,
0: somebody you didn't really expect, because everyone knows LeBron's good, but, like, who's somebody who, like, wow, I have no idea. I
1: barely knew who that guy was, but he's really good. Man, yeah, I would say, I don't even know. That's that's tough, because there's a lot of players that just, like, surprised me. Like, he's really – Uh, I would probably say probably Jamal Berry, honestly. Interesting. Okay,
0: he just got paid a lot, yeah. so I guess he's being paid well enough, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I'm not shocked by his contract, but uh, what he was doing and just, you know, moving around the court and stuff like that, I was I was like, okay, he was he's definitely the real deal. He could play. So
0: let's fast forward a little bit here, because I know you ran out of time. Uh, a couple weeks ago, you were traded again, along with Josh Jackson and some second round draft picks for Javon Carter. How is this trade different or the same from the last one that happened to you? Uh, have you like gotten more experience in the, in the league and it affected you less, or was it
1: kind of the same deal? Uh I'm not sure. I don't think it's uh it's much different from the first one, but it's I feel like Memphis just has a lot of like faith in me and I'm just ready to get started with them. The the Suns also did give me a great opportunity. I started my first NBA game there, you know, I had a lot of like milestones there as a rookie, sure. but um it's I'm ready to, you know, just move on and just get ready for my, my sophomore season yeah it's
0: exciting because it seems like memphis really viewed you as like the prize of the trade like you were the reason why they made it it seems like so that's that's really cool and you're also joining a team it's pretty exciting john Morant on the team jaron jackson brandon clark do you have any relationships with any of those guys like do you know those guys already
1: yeah uh when i was on summer league uh i was out there the whole time so i got a lot of um a lot of time with some of the guys, with some of the summer some guys obviously but uh john was there uh jane um, Dylan, Bur- Dylan, Brinks. Um Brandon Clark was obviously playing. Tyus Jones came, Jonas Hutchins came, so we got um, we had a few guys on the team, there, and we got to you know talk to each other and see how everything's going. On
0: you guys are going to play some defense on that team, man. <laughs> Tyus, you, Jaron Jackson, <laughs> super. So, a uh, couple more questions. What, what's the plan for the summer? You mentioned working with Drew Hamlin on your shot. Are you continuing to work on your shot mechanics? What else are you working on?
1: This- my all around game, honestly, I just, I like to work on everything, uh, just to, just to say, you know, I have that in my game and just to keep evolving and not just one thing, just, you know, keep evolving as a player.
0: Yeah. It makes sense to me. All right. Last thing, my co-host David couldn't join us. So he shot me a few quick questions. We did this thing called seven seconds or less, where we asked three questions of our guests and they have seven seconds or less to answer. These should be pretty easy to Anthony, you ready for a couple quick questions? <laughs> yeah. All right. First one. Favorite sons teammate?
1: Favorite sons teammate? That's tough. Everybody.
0: Everybody? That's a cop out. You? You, give you, you have to give you a one who stands Everybody. out. Everybody. <laughs> How about Everybody. Kelly? Everybody. Everyone seems like Kelly Ubre. <laughs>
1: the, fan, the fans can go with him. Everybody's, everybody's mine. <laughs> the mine. fans mine. do
0: go with him. I'll tell you that. The fans do go with him. Uh, most memorable moment from
1: practice last season? Uh. Most remember a moment when I dunked on my my boy from uh, I on my boy that we played against each other in college, George King.
0: Oh, oh, no. well, David will love that, my co-host. He's a huge George King guy, so he'll love that. <laughs> uh, who is the hardest player that you guarded last season in the NBA? Who you thought you actually did a pretty good job on?
1: The hardest player I guarded. Yeah, um, the best
0: player, basically. You did a good job on.
1: I feel like I, I feel like I did a pretty good job on my, on almost everybody, honestly.
0: <laughs> I like the answer. I'm That's confident. a good answer. I'm
1: confident in my defense. I
0: remember there was one Warriors game where you did a pretty good job mucking things up. You got in, like, Curry and Clay's uh, space a little bit. So we'll go with that. How about that? Uh,
1: okay, okay.
0: It's never a bad thing to stop the Warriors. But Dandy, uh, yeah, thanks again so much for joining. Uh, I know me and many of my listeners will continue rooting for you at uh, Memphis. So good luck, man.
1: All right, thank you.